I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. As a park ranger, I've seen my fair share of strange occurrences in the wilderness. But the recent disappearances of several campers had me and my fellow rangers on high alert. Something was not right in the forest, and we needed to get to the bottom of it. We organized a search party with a group of experienced hikers, and together we set out to investigate the disappearances. As we trekked deeper into the woods, the air grew thick with tension. Every rustling leaf or snapping twig put us on edge, wondering if we were being watched. It wasn't long before we stumbled upon an ancient Native American legend about a shape-shifting creature that hunted humans in the forest. The legend spoke of a being that could take on the form of any animal it desired, making it nearly impossible to trip. At first, I was skeptical. But as we continued our investigation, the evidence became hard to ignore. We found strange tracks in the dirt that seemed to change shape as we followed them, and heard eerie howls and screams that echoed through the trees at night. As the days passed, we grew more and more desperate to find a way to stop the creature. We consulted with local experts on Native American lore, and they confirmed our suspicions. The creature was real, and it was hungry for human flesh. We knew we had to act fast. We scoured the forest for any sign of the shapeshifter setting traps and preparing ourselves for a fight. Finally, after several days of searching, we spotted the creature in the distance, its shape shifting before our very eyes. We knew we had only one chance to stop it. With trembling hands, we took aim and fired. The creature let out an ear-piercing scream, its body writhing in pain as it reverted back to its true form. We had done it. The shapeshifter was dead and the forest was safe once again. As we made our way back to civilization, 
Exhausted and bruised but triumphant, I couldn't help but wonder how many more legends and mysteries lay hidden in the wilds, waiting to be uncovered. It happened in July 2012 while I'm off with my boyfriend on vacation. He inherited a small house on island in Brittany, France. It's called Isle de Grox. It's situated a few kilometers off the south coast of Brittany and you can only get there with a ferry. It is pretty small and only a few inhabitants live there all year long. There's not much to do, but it's really beautiful and it's a nice place for quiet vacation. We like to go for rides during daytime as well as nighttime. Now I'll start telling my story. One, hundred percent true. So, one night, a clear night night doused in moonlight. It's important to remember that. We went out around midnight for a ride on the island as we were used to do so. We headed to a beach whose name I can't remember that goes along a small family vacation village, VVF. Quick description of the area. The VVF is situated in a big curve bordered by a small road. Alongside the road is a strip of grass and sand. When standing on this strip, you have a really nice view of the beach and the sea which lie below. And villagers situated on some kind of a steep cliff. To go down to the beach, you have to walk down sheer narrow stairs, situated a few meters away from where we were standing. Okay, my boyfriend. And I were standing by the road on the strip of sand grass since like ten minutes, looking down at the sea. I need to point out that it was a calm, clear night and we hadn't seen anyone during our ride. We were walking along the beach for a while and hadn't noticed anything strange nor signs of human presence on the beach. No night swimmers. The water is very cold in Brittany, even in the summer. No young people having a party on the beach, etc. So we were standing on a cliff facing the sea when suddenly straight ahead of us we saw a human-shaped figure get out of the water and hurry across the beach. I know it's nothing scary so far, except the figure was pitch black, contrasting with the clear sand and was not reflecting any light, like a dark shadow. It's weird cause remember the moon was shining. We first thought it was someone skinny dipping. Problem is, when you're going out of sea, you first swim to the edge of the sea, then you stand up and walk out of the water. This figure gradually went out, all the time standing tall, as if it was walking on the bottom of the ocean. Moreover, Kay and I had been looking at the water for a while and never noticed anyone swimming, as if it was totally emerged for at least ten minutes. At the sight of that, I felt particularly uncomfortable, not to say really freaked out. So was my boyfriend, who is not easily scared. Weirdest part is once the human-shaped figure got out of the water. It headed straight ahead to the foot of the cliff where we were standing, but it wasn't walking or running. It was sliding on the sand, like, really fast. A pitch-black human shape, with indistinguishable face and features, sliding fast as fuck on the sand, almost gliding, not moving its legs or anything leaving no trail or footsteps behind, all the time standing tall and shaped, average human-sized and built. We stared at it silently until it got a few meters away from the foot of the cliff. Then, without talking, we decided to get the fuck out of Dodge, still with this feeling of dread and fear. We never saw or heard of this creature again, and nothing strange happened during the rest of our vacation. My boyfriend, however, has witnessed strange things on the island before, but nothing that's related to this story. I have always been fascinated by Yellowstone National Park. The sprawling wilderness dotted with hot springs and geysers is like nowhere else on Earth. It's a place of natural beauty and wonder, but also a place of secrets and darkness. I was a park ranger in Yellowstone, tasked with ensuring the safety of all who entered its boundaries. One day I received a report of a missing camper. His friends had gone searching for him, but to no avail. It was my job to pick up the search and bring him back safely. As I ventured into the dense forests of the park, 
A sense of unease washed over me. The trees seemed to close in on me, blocking out the sunlight. I had a feeling that something was watching me, waiting for the right moment to strike. I pushed on, following the trail left by the missing camper. The deeper I went, the more disturbing the signs became. Broken branches, shredded clothing, and pools of blood dotted the pack. And then I found him. The missing camper was lying on the ground, his body torn apart by some unknown beast. The sight was enough to make me nauseous, but I knew I had to investigate further. That's when I heard it. The sound of footsteps, not human, but something else. Something big and dangerous. I turned around, my hand reaching for my weapon, but it was too late. The creature attacked, its jaws snapping at my flesh. I don't remember much after that. When I woke up, I was in an old cabin deep in the woods. I was being tended to by a woman who claimed to be a member of a secret religious order, tasked with protecting the world from the supernatural. She told me that the creature that attacked me was a werewolf, one of the many things that the government wanted to keep secret. The Secret Service was aware of the supernatural creatures roaming the park and had assigned her to protect the public from the truth. But as the days passed, I realized that the woman was not who she claimed to be. She was working for the very creatures she was supposed to be stopping, and her true intention was to use me as bait to draw more people into their grasp. I was horrified and scared, but I knew I had to escape. I made a break for it in the dead of night, but the werewolf was hot on my heels. I ran as fast as I could, but the creature caught up to me, its claws tearing into my flesh. I don't know how I managed to survive, but I did. I stumbled out of the woods, my body battered and broken. I was taken to the hospital, but I never fully recovered. I was forever scarred, both physically and mentally, by my experience in Yellowstone National Park. The Secret Service tried to cover up what had happened to me, but the truth leaked out. People began to whisper about the werewolves in the park, and the government was forced to admit to their existence. But for me, the truth came too late. I was forever changed by my encounter with the supernatural, and I could never shake the feeling that I was being watched. The end of my story is tragic, but the terror of what happened in Yellowstone National Park still lives on. I was house-sitting for a friend in an ill-planned housing development out in the middle of nowhere. Everybody in the development had pooled their money and gone on a two-week cruise together. My friend didn't have cable yet, so I amused myself most nights by defending his refrigerator from a beer invasion. There was nobody for company but the one guy who had just moved in down the street and his great Dane-sized mixed-breed dog named Cujo who hated me. Power went out one night and we're standing in the road drinking the beer so it doesn't spoil. Any excuse, right? Mmm. Talking about how spooky the place is only lit by a moonlight when we hear a cougar. Two things you need to know about a cougar's roar. One, they sound exactly what you'd imagine a woman being tortured to death would sound like. And two, they sound like they're right behind you even if they're a mile away. Cujo's hackles rise and he starts growling, staring off into the distance. More roars. I explained to the guy that it's a cougar. It's miles away, but the sound carries. That's a maiden cry, and not a hunting cry. Nothing for Cujo to be afraid of, etc. Then we hear a second roar. This one literally sounds like it's ten feet away. Cujo cuts his head around, ends his growl with a little squeak, and stares at a spot right behind me. Right behind me. I very slowly turn around. Nothing is there. The cougar screams happen again. One far away and one that I swear is coming from the shadow of the house I'm looking at. I turn to the guy to suggest that maybe we want to go inside now. The guy and the dog were gone. In a few seconds they'd gone far enough to be out of sight on a gravel road without making any sound whatsoever. More screams. This time it seemed like both were coming from the shadows of the houses around me. I'm sure I broke some kind of land speed record getting back to my friend's house. Then I broke another record closing and locking all the windows for the next hour or so, which seemed like a week. 
heard screams from different places around the neighborhood. My beer soaked mine decided the cougars were trying to figure out which house I was in. When the screams stopped, I was convinced that they'd found me and were closing in. I very quietly started looking for the guns I knew my friend owned, but had hidden very well because he had children in the house. Every time I tried to lie down to go to sleep, I remembered my grandfather's stories about how the reason why cougars sound like a women screaming is because they really are women screaming. They're humans trapped in cougar form by magic and pissed the hell off about it. Then I'd get up and look for the guns some more. I finally drifted off around dawn. I didn't see Cujo or the guy for the rest of my stay, but it turned out they were okay because my friend later mentioned that his daughters liked inviting them over and riding Cujo like a horse. Cuyahoga Valley is a beautiful national park located in northeast Ohio. As a park ranger named Zane, I've had the privilege of working in this park for years and it never ceases to amaze me with its natural beauty. The park is a mix of rolling hills, dense forests, and meandering streams. There are fields of wildflowers, hidden waterfalls, and towering cliffs that offer stunning vistas of the valley below. It's a peaceful place, and one that is beloved by hikers, bikers, and nature lovers alike. But one night, everything changed. I was doing my rounds, checking the trails and campsites, when I heard a strange noise. It was a low growl, deep and guttural, coming from somewhere in the woods. I showed my flashlight around, but couldn't see anything in the darkness. That's when I heard a loud snap and turned to see a massive creature standing before me. It was unlike anything I had ever seen before, with long, shaggy fur and glowing eyes that seemed to pierce through the darkness. The creature was huge, standing over eight feet tall on its two hind legs, and it had the strength of ten men. I tried to back away slowly, but the creature took a step forward, blocking my path. It bared its teeth, growling menacingly. I knew that if it wanted to, it could easily overpower me. I was frozen with fear, stuck in place with nowhere to go. The creature let out a deafening roar, and I knew that I had to act fast. I drew my taser and fired, hoping to stun the creature and buy myself some time. But to my horror, the taser had no effect. The creature simply shook off the electric shock and continued to advance. I knew that I had to. Get out of there, and fast! I turned and ran as fast as I could, my heart pounding in my chest. I could hear the creature chasing after me, its massive footsteps echoing through the woods. Somehow, I made it back to my ranger station alive. But I knew that I had encountered something truly terrifying, something that I couldn't explain. The creature was unlike anything I had ever seen, and I knew that it was out there, somewhere in the woods, waiting for its next victim. I was doing a follow-up on an incident that involved two married couples that were camping out at a local skinny dipping rock quarry. This is what took place. There were two groups involved, which consisted of two married couples. They were camping together. They had been swimming in the night when they started to hear what appeared to be high-pitched screams at a distance. They then got nervous because this was unlike anything they had ever heard. At that point, they get out of the water and proceed to walk back to camp, their camp only being a minute walk. They had a campfire going and talking among themselves when all of a sudden they started to hear the high-pitched screams once again, but this time much closer and louder this went on for about ten minutes. They started to get very uncomfortable because they knew whatever it was coming toward their location. And then there was silence. Minutes later, they started to hear branches break around their campsite. One of the men got out his .22 caliber rifle out and started shooting. They heard nothing after that took place. Then a while later, the high-pitched screams started again, but from a distance away until they could no longer hear them. They spent the night there and left in the morning. When I did this follow-up, it was two days since it happened. The information that I was able to gather from the location and witness were this. The high-pitched screams were heard from the north to northeast. The area is heavily wooded with some underbrush. This location is pretty much on flat ground, 
Howard Prairie Lake is under a one-fourth mile away. Given that in this general area was dry, I, I began to do a perimeter search walking north from the rock quarry, sweeping the ground for any traces, but after about three hours of looking around, I was unable to find anything. The ground was to dry as well as the grass. Weather was warm and clear skies. Just to clarify things before I describe my encounter, I live in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. I go hunting near a lake around 20 miles where I live, located near a small town every Saturday. Today, just before the afternoon, I was in my usual hunting spot for around half an hour. A few dozen minutes prior, I had seen a few bucks sprint from the woods and down the riverbank, as if they were running away from something. Then I heard some loud movement coming from the brush across the river. Another buck had come running out from the forest and down the same area where the other buck had gone. This time, a giant grizzly bear had stormed out of the brush in pursuit. This thing was absolutely massive, so big that I can see it clear as day from across the river. I could guess it was four meters in length and probably around eight feet in height. The thing was absolutely enormous and muscular, and also had a big hump around where the neck was. I watched it run down the side of the riverbank, chasing the buck until it had disappeared into the woods. After that, I no longer felt safe having a gargantuan bear running around my hunting spot, so I left, and I don't feel safe going back. There are no grizzly bears in Saskatchewan as I only. I have experience with a few black bears around where I hunt. I've never seen this thing before, let alone a brown bear in my area. Something of this size could devastate the ecosystem if it's invasive. I may have stumbled onto a print by a pure accident while hiking with my niece and nephew in the Syaslaw National Forest, west of Dallas. Oregon. I will give details of the location later, as not to saturate the site with the public so I can finish my investigation in the area and get more readings and data. Global positioning system, photos, and history on the area. Here's what I have thus far. On the mid-afternoon of 24 July, I took my niece, age 13, and nephew, age 16, to an area I used to hunt and log about 30 years ago, west of Dallas, Oregon. 30 years has changed the area quite a bit. His warehouser has bought up a lot of land, Boise and Hampton Company, as most of the area is logged out. There is still a large standing area of some old growth and an area in which to hike in. We were not 15 minutes out from my truck on a trail and my nephew birded out Uncle Ron, look at this footprint. Off the trail, a foot or two, was a large print made in dried mud. The last rain in the area was about 6 July 2003, so the print was well-defined and clear, as the photo shows. Several things I noticed about the print. One, it was not a boot print, as no boot tracks were showing. The print was smooth, consistent with a bare footprint. Two, the width was about nine inches wide at the largest width and about 14 inches long. Three, toe contours could clearly be seen, but it looks like whatever made he print may have stepped on a trig. Wood, so not all the toes made an imprint in the mud, as the casting shows. Four, the footprint clearly shows a heel print and arch in the foot, the edge of the foot at wide proportions from a very heavy individual. Five, as the trail is used likely by mountain bikers and horses, as seen by tracks on the trail. Our five hours up on the trail, I only saw one mountain biker that day while in the area. So it is not used that much, maybe only by locals who live in Dallas or people who know the area. I attempted to make global positioning system readings that day, but for some reason, my global positioning system could not pick up satellite signals possibly from the heavy canopy of trees. Another attempt for a long or lat reading with negative results on a second trip. I will attempt a third trip with new batteries and see what happens. The print was, as I said, left of the trail, going sudden stratospheric warming. I searched the area for about two hours. 
hair samples on trees, scat, or other prints in area. Negative results. Photos of area were taken from different perspective points. At this point, as I don't want to contaminate the area with undue traffic, I will keep the exact location confidential until I complete my investigation. Now a little history on the area. I have hunted the Falls City and Dallas area since 1970. In 1972, while heading to Falls City, Oregon, my friend Rick swerved missed something darting across the road. I was a witness to something large, tall, and running on two legs, not four, thinking it may have been a bear or a crazed hunter dressed in black. We both, as teenagers, could not answer what we saw. The stories we had heard is that the Dallas and Falls City area from old-timers and hunter friends of ours, stories of Bigfoot circulated during that time, especially after the famous Red Bluff, California film clip of the famous Roger Patterson from 1967. As the photo shows, I took a casting of the footprint as mentioned. Only one was found thus far. Within the next few days, I will attempt to return to the area for further investigation and findings. My wife's sister and their family had just moved into a new home in a new rural subdivision near Shevlin Park by Tumalo Creek in Bend. She had mentioned there were coyotes that made a horrible-sounding noise sometimes at night. They opened their windows at night on the second story level. Me and my family were spending the night there, and I awoke to hear a dreadful-sounding repetitive call. Having grown up in the backwoods country of East Texas, I am familiar with the yapping cries of coyotes, and this sound was not from any animal I'm familiar with. The best way to describe the sound is that of a large bloodhound trying to clear its throat. Whoa! Loudly with no pitch or volume variances. It occurred in two separate periods, and the calls were about five or six repetitons, two seconds in length with about a one-second gap in between them. Once the sounds ended, there was an eerie silence for about five or six minutes, even though there are several dogs in the neighborhood. On September 12, 2015, while I was standing in the middle of my front yard waiting for my family to exit the van, to my right at three o'clock comes what looked like a jet black version of the Jack Skellington an animated character, except the head looked like your typical gray alien head. It came from the side of my neighbor's yard. There's a cement path that winds down into a fountain with surrounding benches and opens up into a playground, garden, and shed area. Up the cement path comes the black stick man and marches across the lawn, very swiftly going about twice as fast as a human would walk, and its height was over seven feet tall. It came across the street under the street light, onto my parents' gravel driveway, and passed on the far side of the van, then it continued straight down the gravel driveway and onto the side of our house. I got the impression it was very strong physically. When it had gone behind the gate, the doors to the van were opening and my sister was the first one out. I shouted, did you see that? And she said, it was all black. This confirmed my sighting. The only thing we could do was make sure our doors were locked. I haven't seen or heard anything since this incident. I saw a lot of weird stuff as a kid. One of the things was this long, super-thin, two-jointed, black robotic like arm that would jut out from behind a certain road sign. On our routine weekend drive to the shore to visit my grandpa when he was still alive, we would come to a turn in the road right before we made a left onto his street. I saw a long, thin insect, like robotic, like arm come out from behind the street sign and make a grab for our vehicle. It shocked me. The next several times we went to visit him, though, nothing happened. One day, when I was in my early teens, I saw the exact same thing again coming out from behind the same road sign. Freaky and pointless, but still made me question my reality. I've been a park ranger for years, but I've never been so lost in the woods before. It was already dark and my radio wasn't working. I tried to follow my footsteps back, but... Somehow, I got even more lost. 
I heard something moving in the bushes, but I couldn't tell what it was. Suddenly I heard a loud growl, and something jumped at me from the darkness. It was huge, and its eyes glowed in the darkness. I tried to fight it off, but I was no match for its strength. It clawed at me, ripping my clothes and skin apart. I managed to break free and ran as fast as I could. The creature followed, its heavy footsteps echoing through the forest. I could feel it getting closer and closer, but I didn't stop until I finally saw the light of the ranger station. I slammed the door behind me, panting and bleeding. My colleagues looked at me in shock, but I couldn't speak. I could only point to the wounds on my body and the torn clothes. I've been a park ranger for over a decade, and in that time I've seen some incredible things. But nothing could have prepared me for the truth about what was really happening in the national park where I worked. It all started when I noticed that there had been an unusually high number of disappearances in the park. Hikers, campers, and even other park rangers had vanished without a trace, and despite our best efforts, we couldn't find any clues as to what had happened to them. That's when I started to notice something strange. My supervisor and some of my colleagues seemed to be hiding something from me. They would speak in hushed tones when I was around, and I could sense that they were holding back information from me. Finally, I confronted my supervisor, demanding to know what was really going on in the park. That's when he revealed the truth. There were unknown predators in the park, creatures that were preying on hikers and campers, and even other park rangers. I was shocked and horrified by this revelation, but what really terrified me was the fact that my colleagues had been keeping this information from me. How long had they known about these creatures, and why hadn't they done more to warn people or protect them from harm? I knew that I couldn't keep this information to myself. I went to the media and shared the truth about what was really happening in the park. But instead of being praised for my bravery, I was fired from my job as a park ranger. Now, I'm on the run pursued by the very people I used to work alongside. But I won't stop until the truth about the unknown predators in the park is exposed. I know that it's dangerous, and that these creatures could come after me at any moment. But I won't rest until justice is served, and the innocent people who have vanished in the park are given the answers they deserve. I'm 18 male, and this is a story that both my parents recall. 56 male, 48 female. It happened around 2004 in January, a few days after I was born in Peters Township, Pennsylvania. They were driving home on a well-traveled but still rural road to the newly built development where they lived. They had just passed a power station when they looked into the field to the left and saw it. They describe it as a wolf the size of a small horse with a barrel chest running on all fours with red eyes. They were traveling at around 35 miles per hour and it kept perfect pace with the car. Around 100 yards from the turn into the development it ran across the road and disappeared into the woods. I'm, I'm not the person who saw the creature. I am reporting what a co-worker has told me. I believe what he says. My co-worker and his son were archery, heading in northeast Oregon. They walked to the end of a ridge overlooking a small, sparsely forested valley. As he was looking over the valley for game, he saw a tree, which had fallen and was leaning over another fallen tree. He said the tree was pointed up at about a 30-degree angle. He saw that something had just moved the tree. He said it was bouncing pretty good. He figured a bear was trying to get at grubs that sometimes live in rotting wood. He and his son decided to make their way closer to the tree to catch a glimpse of the animal making the tree move. As they were making their way towards for the tree, they heard something behind them. The noise came from where they just were. He turned around to see what made the noise. As he turned, he saw what he thought was another hunter about sixty yards to their right, walking across an open hillside. My co-worker blew on his cow call to get the figure's attention. The figure totally ignored him. He blew on the call again, but still the figure ignored him. 
At this point, he was annoyed that another would not acknowledge him, so he decided to walk in the figure's direction. He said as he walked towards the figure, it bolted and ran into the timber. My co-worker ran to where the figure went into the timber. He figures the figure was only thirty yards from him when he stopped where he last saw it. The figure then ran. My co-worker ran after it. He said he could hear it running through the brush and trees. Whatever it was, it sounded heavy. He figured he ran about fifty yards after it. When he stopped running, the thing was at least one hundred yards ahead of him and still running. It was making a lot of noise going through the brush and trees. At first, he didn't realize what he saw. He figured it was Hunter in full camouflage. Then he realized the Hunter wasn't carrying a bow or any other type of hunting equipment. And he said there was no way a man could move that fast through that kind of brush and trees. He also says it made too much noise as it was running. After he realized it was a Bigfoot, he and his son went back to look for tracks or any other evidence. There were no actual tracks, just torn up pine needles and busted limbs. The only other thing they found was a semi-fresh dead elk that looked like it had been eaten on by some animal. We have talked about this incident numerous times. He believes what he saw was a Bigfoot. He figures the Bigfoot that made the downed tree move. It most likely winded him or saw him, and it circled around behind him and his son. He said he had just relieved himself before he saw the tree moving. He thinks the Bigfoot circled back around him, got a good smell of the urine, and decided to leave the area. Since he and his son were in full camouflage, he thinks the Bigfoot didn't see him as it walked across the open hillside. Once he moved, the Bigfoot saw him and tried to get out of sight. It was blackish-brown in color. This is a second event and was told to me by another co-worker who was hunting in the same general area. I'm not sure of the year. It was within a year of the other co-worker's sighting. According to my co-worker, he and a friend were in their tent trying to sleep. He said at around midnight he and his friend were awoken by a loud noise that started out as a low growl and gained pitch until it sounded like a scream. He said the noise would happen at about twenty-second intervals. He said whatever was making the noise was making its way past the camp. He guesses it was between fifty and seventy-five yards away from the camp, skirting the campsite. It continued making the noise until it got about two hundred yards away, then it stopped making the noise. My co-worker said it sounded like whatever was making the noise was mad that someone was in its territory and was trying to scare them away. They were the only people in the area. The nearest groups of hunters were camped about five miles away. These two individuals would like to be kept confidential. I will ask the individual who saw and chased the Bigfoot if he will let me give you his name. I have every reason to believe he saw Bigfoot. Neither person I talked to notified anybody about what they encountered. In fact, the individual who saw the Bigfoot didn't say anything to anyone for about a year. I will get the exact location and date of the first sighting and relay it to you later. On February 6, 2003, myself and two of my friends set out on a three-day hike that would take us from Cascade Locks at the Herman Creek Trailhead up the Pacific Crest Trail and into Wadham Lake. It was a 26.2-mile loop that we knew would take a few days to conquer. It was originally supposed to be a snowshoe trip, but the deepest the snow ever got was about 18 inches. For the month, we could not have asked for better weather. It was very cold, but there was not a cloud in the sky for any of the three days we were out. If anyone has ever been up in the area of Benson Plateau, Ruckle Creek, or Waitham Lake in the wintertime, they would also attest to there being nobody up there. We saw not a soul for three days, and there was nobody within miles. We reached our campsite the first day just as it got dark on Benson Plateau. The next morning we headed out for our ultimate destination, Watam Lake. The night before we decided to empty out as much weight as we could in our packs and take only what we needed, for the faster we could get to the lake, the better we were assured of getting back to camp before dark. 
We emptied out some food and other various items, left them in our tent, and got our packs down to 30-35 pounds. We hiked the five miles to and around Mount Chinadare and into Watham Lake. The three of us made it back to camp again just as the sun set, and around dusk the winds on the plateau got very strong. The weather was already cold, about 25 degrees, and obviously the wind didn't help any. I read on National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's homepage the next day there were wind gusts from 40-60 miles per hour around where we were camped that night. I'm going to estimate that with the wind chill it was about 5-10 degrees that night. We were feeling pretty proud of ourselves for reaching our objective that night. We did what we went there to do. It was no picnic, and we were extremely happy that we did it. We knew that the next morning it was all downhill to the trailhead, so we made a nice fire. The wind helped us make a nice fire, even though it made it hard to start, made some dinner, and sat around laughing and talking around the fire, trying to keep warm. At around 9.30 we went into the tent. It was just cold to stay outside anymore and started playing cards for about a half an hour. We then shut out the light and laid down. My friend, who was on the far right of the tent, farthest from me, was asleep when his head hit the pillow. But myself and my buddy, who was in the middle, sat eyed butt for a while to shoot the breeze and tell a few jokes. I was right in the middle of a joke when, all of a the sudden, there was what appeared to be a flashlight on the side of the tent, farthest from me, the right side. This light was about two, three inches in diameter had about three, four radials in it, and had about a one, four-inch diameter black spot in the middle, much like a mag light at close range. It made a few circles around the tent, lasting about two, three seconds, then clicked off. We could not, however, hear it click off because the wind was blowing. Both my buddy and I saw the light, and it was unquestionably a light emitted from a bulb there is no possible way that the light was created from a rolling log in the fire pit or the moon showing through the trees or anything of that sort. This was a round light from a flashlight or something of the sort, as if coming from a Krypton bulb. The two of us went from talking and laughing to completely silent and 100% still. We whispered very quietly to each other to make sure that both of us just saw what we think we did. Not three seconds later, we heard crunching on the ground. Within ten seconds of that, our fire went from being a warm orange glow and flickered almost completely out. The previous night, we had snow in the tree above our tent and the fire pit. It had melted off through the day, and where our camp was, you could walk just one hundred yards to the south, and you would have been at the snow line. The ground around our camp was very hard, and it was covered in a sheet of ice. So we left the fire going moderately, hoping that the next morning we would still have some warm coals to warm up with. In a matter of two seconds, our fire went from a steady orange glow, flickered a few times, and then went to a very weak reddish or orange glow. Five minutes later, it was out and completely dark. My friend and I were... Needless to say, very freaked out by the events that were taking place. We shook the third member of our party awake, and we realized that we had left a camp shovel and a hatchet outside of the tent. We called out to see if anyone was out there, thinking maybe it was a lost hiker or a forest ranger who was out patrolling the area for some odd reason. But nobody called back. We sat there and listened and again heard pacing and footsteps outside of our tent. This was not a pitter-patter of a four-legged animal, or the pacing of a cougar or a bear. There was no sniffing, no sound other than pacing, and what's more, it was definitely a two-legged something that was doing this pacing. The sound it made was a continuous crunch. Crunch. Like a two-legged being, walking on an icy ground. We decided that we should go outside without flashlights and see what was going on, and what was more to get our hatchet and camp shovel back. My friend on the far right grabbed his flare gun, the only weapon we had inside the tent, and we all threw on our thermal boots and pants and went outside in a hurry. We looked all around the tent, 
shining lights everywhere, but saw nothing. No tracks, no nothing. The ground was very hard, densely packed dirt and ice atop of it. With our packs on, each of us weighed over 220 pounds, and we did not make a single track up there. We were jumping up and down the next morning to see if we could make tracks or imprints, but we could not. Also, we were on a plateau that was dense with trees. There were trees everywhere, plenty of places for something to hide. At this time, I was thinking that some psychopath was on the loose, or somebody was fooling with it. But then I started to put two and two together. There we were, literally in the middle of nowhere, 5,200 feet up, nine miles away from any sort of civilization. May as well have been 100, and the only two ways up to where we were was a steep seven-hour hike up Eagle Creek Trail, or a steeper eight-eight-half-hour hike up Pacific Crest Trail. We were in our thermal underwear, wool socks, thermal snow boots, waterproof insulated snow pants, undershirts, long-sleeve overshirts, and insulated North Face ski jackets, and we were freezing cold. There was no way. It was impossible for any human being to survive up there that night without fire and or shelter. It just was not possible. If it just would have been a case of footsteps for a few seconds, a flashlight, and a fire that was put out, I might agree that there were some other hikers up there who just wanted to have a good time and mess with us. But after we went back into the tent, we heard the footsteps again. This time, they went from near the fire pit and walked over to the tent past where our feet were pointed and went over to my side of the tent. There, whatever it was, paced and paced for about an hour and a half. This threw out any notion in my head that it was a human being. It just was not physically possible for a person to be up there and live without shelter for this period of time. I myself am a cold weather fanatic. I love cold weather. But I was never so cold as I was on that trip on that night. It was extremely cold and windy out. There was never any sniffing or any other clanging around of objects you would hear from any animal. Plus, whatever it was, we scared it off twice, and it came back. What kind of animal gets scared off or runs off and continuously comes back only to get closer? What is also more obviously is what kind of animal has a flashlight. I've had to tell myself, yeah, but Bigfoot doesn't have a flashlight. But then I think, well, we really don't know how intelligent they are. If a monkey can fly into space. When we got back into our sleeping bags, my friend who was sleeping... The one that did not see the light tried to convince himself it was just some animal for the sake of being able to sleep. The next day he admitted that he knew that whatever it was had two legs. My other friend and I agreed to try and stay awake for as long as we could, maybe take turns on a watch. It had been such a long trip and such a physically demanding one, this was hard to do no matter how scared we were. After my one buddy dozed off, my other friend that had agreed to stay awake with me dozed off and both started to snore. The pacing continued for nearly 45 minutes, not more than seven feet from the tent, and there was nothing else. No sounds, no calls, no grunts, nothing. It was a very strange feeling, but I almost felt like whatever it was was waiting for me to sleep. Even though I made no sound at all, it felt like something new I was awake and was waiting for me to sleep. I decided to rip off a few fake snores to see what would happen, just out of curiosity. After my third snore, the flashlight appeared again on the right side of the tent. Again, it made three or four circles. I woke up my friend, who was next to me hastily. As soon as I did so, the light went off, and the walking outside of the tent stopped. This time, I got a really good look at the light, as there was no orange glow from the fire outside the tent. It was completely pitch-black dark outside, and this light came from literally nowhere. We awoke my other friend, and we all talked and agreed that it had not yet messed with the tent. It hadn't moved it or anything, and was not threatening us yet. Plus, none of us knew if we really wanted to rush outside this time. We all knew that somehow this time whatever it was would not run away, and we may then be in a world of hurt. So we laid there in our tent for a while, trying to stay awake but unable to. 
After about ten, fifteen more minutes, the pacing ceased, and all there was was the wind. I tried to stay awake to see if whatever it was would come back, but I could not. When we awoke the next morning, the only thing that was disturbed was the fire. It was slightly wet, like someone had thrown snow on it, and it also had a mixture of ash and dirt on top of it. Again, all the snow in the tree had melted and fallen off by the second day, so there is no way the snow came from the tree. Otherwise, no tracks, nothing molested or disturbed, no nothing. There was no smell or odor at any time during our occurrence or anything else. We quickly picked up camp that cold morning and headed back down quickly and safely. I have no idea if what this was was Bigfoot. I really do not know for sure if this was Sasquatch or some other phenomenon. I do know this. It definitely had two legs and it was not a human. I guess I'm just looking for some insight, some sort of feedback on what this may have been. So far, Bigfoot has been my best guess. Something else unusual that I did not even think of until about three weeks after the trip. On our way back to camp from Wadham Lake, about two miles past Mount Chenadir, we all three heard a strange call that sounded like a cross between a moose and an elk. I thought it was just me. But then, not two seconds later, my friend, who is from Colorado, said they don't have moose in Oregon, do they? I asked him if he heard it too, and they both said they thought they heard what sounded like a moose, or a cross between a moose and an elk. It was a low-pitched but very powerful cooing noise, probably coming from a ways off. We were pretty high up, and it was really cold out there and snowy where we were when we heard it. Maybe it was just an elk. I'm not sure, but it just seemed strange for an elk to be out and about at that time and place. Any insight on this from anyone would be appreciated. I do also know that there have been a few sightings around this area from Herman Creek to Ruckle Creek, and any info would be useful. It is difficult to talk about sometimes, and I try not to think about what it was or may have been when I am alone. I would like to come to some sort of conclusion on this so I can put it to rest.